As you take your seats, please turn your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. It's found on page 975 of the Black Pew Bible. 975. So we come to this closing passage of the book of Galatians. Paul is summarizing the whole of his letter, condenses for us what he's been saying all along into this pithy and punchy conclusion. Apostle Paul speaking, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation." And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. It's nice that I don't need to tell you how important this passage is, because Paul tells you himself there in verse 11. Perhaps he's you know, taking the, the pen from the hand of his amanuensis or his secretary who's been writing down whatever he says. We might imagine him as Professor Paul taking the, the chalk and writing in all caps across the chalkboard in the classroom. You can't miss this. And this being the conclusion of the letter, really the, the summary, the distillation of the letter in Paul's own hand, if that wasn't enough for us to sit up and take note, allow me to suggest one more reason. It is New Year's Eve after all, and I hope you didn't come thinking I wouldn't suggest a few resolutions, New Year's, New Year's resolutions for you. Uh, I'm always proud of myself when I can think of a way to get my whole sermon outlined in the title of the sermon, Resolved, with our three points. And I do think these are resolutions or applications of what Paul's been saying all through the book. It could have come out of any section of it. Really, the whole of the book, Paul has been arguing that you would be resolved to, number one, reject religiosity. Number two, embrace the gospel. And number three, boast only in the cross. Be resolved to reject religiosity embrace the gospel and boast only in the cross, resolutions for your new year and every day of your life. Let's examine first what Paul says here about rejecting religiosity. And really, I think there's five aspects that mark it out 
in this section, especially verses 12 and 13. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. It's about those who would have a good showing, something that could be seen, number one aspect of religiosity that Paul's saying you ought to reject is this outward aspect. Remember that these, these Galatian churches, uh, the beloved churches Paul had planished, uh, planted, the saplings that were growing up have been poisoned, like, like the trees at Toomer's Corner on Auburn's campus. They were uh, poisoned by someone, uh, and those trees were, were dying. Indeed, the, these churches were poisoned and were dying. The poison was the false teaching. The false teaching, Paul's were arguing again and again, verse by verse, or they were saying that faith alone wasn't enough. No, no, no. We're going to be a, a part of the people of God, accepted by God Himself, justified. You needed faith plus works, especially the, the ceremonial Old Testament circumcision and cleanliness laws and food laws and holiday laws, all that. You need to make sure you were in line with it. If you were serious, you know, you were doing these kind of things. And indeed, as Paul says, it was all about what was showy, outward, visible. Verse 12, making a good showing in the flesh. And this is the way of all worldly religion, of all religiosity. And I suppose um, there has been other ages like ours where it was generally not cool to be religious. But within religious circles, people that are religious, people that should come to a Sunday evening service on New Year's Eve, it's cool to be at some level appreciated, be able to show your, um, your seriousness, your religiosity, uh, to play and look the part, to make nice prayers, to make the, the keen insight at Bible study or in Sunday school, or uh, to have a deep manner or gravitas, or in the youth group I grew up in, you know, the, the serious ones who had their eyes closed and their hands raised and were swaying with the music, those were the ones who, who showed just how serious and religious they were. And all this is very much what, like Jesus indicted the Pharisees for. Matthew 23, speaking of the Pharisees, Jesus said, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. They're all outward. They make their phylacteries broad, their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi or teacher by others. See, the false religion that Jesus condemns, that Paul is arguing against us, is this outward religiosity, number one. And number two, it follows here, uh, secondly, a kind of merely human religiosity. Number two, a a human religiosity. It's found there in verse 13a. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. These false teachers, the Judaizers, uh, who, who poisoned Paul's saplings, taught that justification before God could be had by simple human obedience. You, by your own will, follow the law. You get the circumcision. You, you, uh, you keep the law. You do the diet. You go to church. You read three times a day. You pray five. You have fish on Fridays. Wham, bam, boom. You're good. Can check off the boxes. Human exertion. Can, you can climb up the way, climb up the mountain to God if you simply stick to the program, the program, simply by human will and activity. The problem with that, Jesus himself 
says it as clearly as possible. John chapter 6, verse 63, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, Jesus says. Human effort, human religiosity accomplishes nothing. See, Paul says, resolve to set yourselves to reject a religiosity that's outward and human. And thirdly, see in our text here, proud. Look at verse 13b, proud. So they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. So they can be boastful. So they can be, be proud of what they've produced. They want you, he's saying, to be one of their conversion statistics. They can send back to headquarters, to Jerusalem. They, you know, this Christian movement, it's being Judaized. We're, we're keeping up the ceremonial law, all the old trappings. We're keeping it up. It's very much like pastors that I've met who long to be published in evangelism magazine to report their, you know, their rededications, their conversions, their baptisms. See, religiosity that is outward and human can't help but be proud and boastful. It leads to vainglory, selfish boasting. It's all worried about what other people think. It's about religion as a way to climb the social ladder, to get into the inner ring. And I, I'm afraid, you know, um, we, we, we the, the Sunday evening on New Year's Eve crowd especially, needs to fight the kind of pride that comes with being a part of a respectable church, a good church, a healthy church, a happy church, one with a big missions budget, one which returns 70% of our Sunday morning attendance back on Sunday evening. No, uh, this cancer of pride begins to root in. We have to always be repenting of it, fighting it back. Jesus teaches his disciples, Luke 17, 10, when you have done all you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Or as the Apostle James reminds us, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Resolve yourselves to reject outward, human, proud, and number four, comfortable religiosity. Look back up at verse 12b. He says, they would force you to be circumcised only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They didn't want any of that persecution. They like their nice, comfortable Christianity. See, these, these Judaizers uh, were perhaps Christians at some level, but they were deep compromisers, compromisers to avoid any conflict. They wanted to be able to tell their Jewish friends, we're, we're, we're keeping up the ceremonial trappings. We're not rejecting circumcision. No, no, no. You see, uh, by such compromise, however, they could avoid the offense of what Paul is saying here, the offense of verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. They could very much stay in their comfort zone, what was popular and easy to keep up. Indeed, the temptation to compromise, even as Terry outlined this morning, is it's always there for the church. In our day, the temptation to compromise is clearly <clears throat> to compromise like our contemporaries who try and baptize the LGBTQ gospel to become a good church that's a safe space, to avoid being called names like fundamentalist or legalist or bigot or backwards or homophobe or transphobe. <clears throat> Indeed, we're surrounded by churches that have maintained their religious comfortability and flown the idolatrous pride flag and avoided the ire of their neighbors and family by 
compromising. Indeed, they have stayed comfortable. But there is no comfort for those who would avoid following in the way of the cross. Paul explains the way the cross of Christ is uncomfortable. 1 Corinthians 1, it says, it's foolishness to Greeks, a stumbling block to Jews. Our, you know, our, our cultural, our, our, our gospel could not be more countercultural. Instead of uh, love yourself, be yourself, listen to yourself, treat yourself, the Christian gospel is to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus says, all who would come after me must take up their cross. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So the problem with religiosity is that it is indeed outward, human, proud, comfortable, and lastly, it's ineffectual. It's ineffectual. Look at verse 13a. Paul says there, said, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. That is, their whole system, by definition, you know it, I know it, it, it doesn't work. It can't work. Even those who are going to the nth degree still can't do it. George Whitfield, it's probably my, use, my, my most used quote. You know, when you have a good quote, you can't help but use it, right, Terry? Trying to get to heaven by works is like trying to climb to the moon on a rope of sand. Or I thought of some others that I thought were similar. Trying to get heaven by works is like trying to fly by flapping your arms. Trying to get to heaven by works is like trying to cut down a tree with your forehead. Those who would justify themselves by works can't. It's ineffectual. These who had a tithe, not only of their bank accounts, but even out of their cupboards, their, their mint, dual, and cumin, the Pharisees, the Judaizers, but hoping by meritorious law-keeping, trying to keep the letter of the law to earn God's favor, in the end, it becomes counterproductive. It's like, a, it's like you're getting your car stuck uh, in, a, in a muddy lawn, and the more you hit the gas pedal, the more your tire spins, and the more you sink down into the mud. So, law-keeping makes you more proud, less looking to God for his self-sufficiency, more relying on yourself. It becomes counter-gospel to be nothing but a law-keeper. This is what Paul has been saying throughout the letter. Outward, human, proud, comfortable, ineffectual religiosity saves no one. And I, I was initially uh, a little nervous about turning to the book of Galatians because I know the book of Galatians, every passage, it's the same main point justification by faith alone. And indeed, within the last 10, 15 years in this church and in our PCA and our Reformed world, you know, we've had the Gospel Coalition and Together for the Gospel, and we've had the new perspective on Paul and the federal vision, and, you know, thing after thing that raised justification by faith alone to be a, a, a pillar point, something that's talked about all the time. These, these doctrine, this doctrine, you know, is familiar to our congregation, and yet it's been, it's been made fresh to me the way that we continually need this preaching. I, I lost my retainers about a week ago. You know, I, I think I had my braces off in seventh grade. So they're a solid 20 years old. Still have them. A little, little boastful in that. A little proud that I haven't lost my retainers after all this time. But I, I hate losing my retainers because even a few days without my retainers to hold my teeth in place, they naturally go back to the way they were before. And so it is with our hearts. They naturally fall into the religiosity that's been with us from the beginning. 
like all the world, our hearts go back into this form, and we need the retainers of the gospel preached to us to remember what Paul is pointing out here, to reject the religiosity that stirs up in our hearts in the most natural way. So resolve, number one, reject religiosity, and resolve, number two, to embrace the gospel. And really, the embracing of the gospel is the antithesis of the first five points under the first main point. The gospel, you see, is the opposite of the five-point religiosity. So embrace a gospel that is not outward, but rather inward, number one. Look at verse 15. It says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Nothing outward, nothing that can be seen counts for anything. If anybody should have known this, Israel should have known this. Prophet after prophet, prophet, from Moses in Deuteronomy all the way through Malachi, they're all saying the same thing. It's not a circumcision just of the genital. It's a circumcision also of the heart that matters, the inward, unseen place of the heart that must be transformed. The unseen, spiritual, inward, rather than the physical, material, outward sign. And so it is, we, we, we can say with, with, some, with some clarification that so is baptism for us. Baptism alone, if you are a cognizant adult, will not save you. Indeed, uh, a faith uh, that is active, a faith that is living, a, a saving faith must be had. Do not be deceived. You know, praying a prayer, walking an aisle, even feeling something warm and fuzzy at Christmas time, or listening to a Christmas, a Christian music, or even listening to sermons that make you feel nice doesn't mean that you indeed have saving faith. It's possible to have all that and no real knowledge of Christ. Jesus and the prophets warned them, you acknowledge me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Jesus says, many will say to him on that last day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Jesus says, I will declare to you I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So you have to get past the outward religiosity and down into the heart. Do you love Jesus? Do you know God? Do you tremble at his word? Do you love him? That's where the gospel hits. Paul has been calling us all letter to embrace a gospel that is inward rather than outward. And secondly, one that is divine rather than human. Verse 15, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. What does count? A new creation. A new creation. That's what God did. That's divine action rather than human action. Not saved by works of our hands, circumcising, giving, helping, working. No. Only God saves. Only God creates or recreates or regenerates. He must do it. It must be by grace. Jesus says he is the way. Jesus says it is finished. What is finished? Salvation, the atonement. He did it. He finished it. He completed it. Cast your deadly doings down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone gloriously complete. We know that our contribution to our salvation, our justification, is negative. We bring our debt we bring our need, our nakedness, our dead souls. He saves us to the uttermost. Paul says, embrace a gospel that is inward rather than outward. 
divine rather than human. And thirdly, humble rather than proud. Humble rather than proud. Look at verse 14. Remember, they're wanting to boast in the flesh, and Paul in Tithesis says, verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We know that outward human religion must grow pride. So similarly, inward divine religion grows humility. Those who embrace the true gospel, the world is dead to them. They don't need to be justified before the world anymore. They don't need the approval of the inner ring, of the class above them they so want to be a part of. They have all the approval. They have justification before God, acceptance before Him. They've been liberated from the rat race of trying to please everybody else in life. They stand in Him alone, gloriously complete. Embrace a gospel, Paul says, that is inward, divine, humble, and number four, distinctly uncomfortable rather than comfortable. Now look at verse 17. Paul says, well, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Well, what are these marks he, he mentions? Well, um, er, the, the very first argument in the, in the letter is that Paul's gospel, the one he's preaching, is the legitimate one. He has apostolic authority. Where he got his gospel was none other than Jesus Christ himself. And he's, he's tying it here. You know, he makes a very similar argument in 2 Corinthians. Uh, near the end of 2 Corinthians, he explains what I think is coming to mind here when he says, he bears the marks of Christ. He argues for the legitimacy of his apostleship by saying, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, and then he goes on and on and on, uh, as if just one of those things happened to me one time. I, I don't even know how you don't die from a flogging. Uh, my understanding of what happens to the body and the skin being basically pulled off of your back, and, you know, I, I work with old men who never had those, things, and are still, you know, creaky and pain all the time, let alone Paul, who has this laundry list of serious bodily trauma, Indeed, the marks of Christ are the marks of those who have been following Christ and has so been persecuted as Jesus was persecuted. Indeed, uh, these marks are the proof of his legitimacy at some level. He wasn't out for the money. He wasn't out for the comfortable retirement. No, Paul leads from the front in his bearing of the cross. Seems happy to sacrifice for the kingdom to lean into the uncomfortability of the true gospel. And Paul is pleading, pleading that you would be resolved to embrace the true gospel that is inward, divine, humble, uncomfortable, and finally, and is yet effectual. Rather than ineffectual, the true gospel, of course, is effectual. See, the Judaizers could never actually keep the law. Jesus has them dead to rights when he says, if you've had hatred in your heart towards your brother... You've committed murder in the heart. If you've looked lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery in the heart. Jesus has all of us dead to right. Salvation by work, salvation by law-keeping, by your own righteousness, ineffectual. But in contrast, the gospel of the cross 
absolutely effective. Verse 16, he said, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Upon who? Who's the peace and mercy upon? Who are those who uh, the gospel is effective for? Well, it's for those who live by this rule. What rule? The rule of neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but only new creation. They are indeed, as he says, the Israel of God. And to the Judaizers, this almost has to feel like a, a twist of the knife. The Israel of God that he speaks of is not biological, lineal sons of Abraham, not citizens of the nation of Israel, not Jews by birth, not those who have the circumcision. No, the true Israel of which he speaks are those who are of Israel by faith. This is the argument Paul makes in the book of Romans. Those who are the Israel of God, who live by this rule, the rule of faith. Paul says they are indeed the gospel is effective for them. There are no more important New Year's resolutions for you to make. You, you might lose some weight this New Year. I hope you do. Probably all used to be helpful, perhaps. Uh, you could hit your financial goals. You could become more disciplined and you know, save and hit all your be free and all that financially. But what to be our most healthy and fit, and, and what to be our most uh, financially free, and yet for eternity to be missed. If you do not keep these resolutions, rejecting religiosity and embracing the gospel, you run in danger of the most dangerous thing, hell itself. Brings us finally to our last resolution, just briefly, to boast only in the cross, to boast only in the cross. It's there in verse 14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What could be more countercultural? We all have something that we boast in, that we, we, we point to when we're feeling down, when we need to feel okay with ourselves, we need to know I'm a pretty good chap. We, we have something. They say, look, you know, I'm a hard worker. That's who I am. I, I, feel, I feel justified at the end of the day because I work hard. Or uh, the thing about me is, you know, I'm a loyal friend. I would never betray. Or the thing about me is, you know, I tell the truth or I tell it how it is. That's my thing. Or the thing about me is, you know, I'm happy for other people to take center stage. I'm just a selfless person. Or perhaps the thing about me is that I'm a self-giving mother or father. That's my boast. And the resolution for you and for me and the instruction of Paul here in his example is to not look to that resume marker of the thing about me is that makes me feel okay and justified even before myself. No, our boast must be in the cross of Christ. See, see if we look to that remedy to find peace uh, psychologically in our souls, that I'm a good chap because, you see, that, that's a peace uh, that comes as a carcinogen, you know. Smoking a cigarette might give you five minutes or so of, of, of peace some, somehow. And yet in the long term, it bears cancer in your lungs. So with boasting in our own selves. You might feel better for five minutes knowing you're a hard worker and you've done your best and you're a pretty good chap. But in the long run, boasting in your own flesh, boasting in the resume, boasting in being a pretty good person, cancer for your soul for forever. No, this call to reject religiosity, 
is something we always need. The call to embrace the gospel, something you always need. The call to boast only in the cross, radical and even confusing, to, to look to the cross of Christ, the symbol of the greatest sin in the history of the world that is also the symbol of our only hope in life and in death, the place upon which our debt was paid and life earned for us as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we have no other hope. Help us to have no other boast. In this new year, may we root out the religiosity in our lives. May we continually turn our heart to embrace the good news of Jesus that makes us humble rather than proud, full of the fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the flesh. Help us, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.